yeah, there's just a lot of harm that's been done by listening to, I guess, worldly um, opinions instead of like, what does God say about us and who we are and that he created us individually with a purpose. And mm-hmm. You are listening to the Grand Prairie Alliance Church Women's Podcast, where our aim is to encourage, edify, and equip you as you grow in your faith. May we be salt and light in this dark, mixed-up world. Welcome to GPAC Women's Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number five of the GPAC Women's Podcast. I'm so excited that you are here with us today again. And yeah, we have a great topic to cover. I'm so excited. I definitely learned some amazing things speaking with Stacy. Yeah, our topic today is all about our relationship with food and how we think about food. I think it's something that many of us maybe don't even think about. We just go about our lives not really dissecting, yeah, our relationship with food. What a funny thing to say. Um, person I'm interviewing, my guest today is Stacy Fry. She is a registered dietitian. Hello, Stacy. Hi. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, where were you born and raised, and how did you come to know about Jesus? Sure. Um, so, I was born and raised in, well, born in Grand Prairie, raised in Grovedale. Whoop, whoop. And, um, yeah, I went through high school in Grand Prairie, and then after high school, I decided I wanted to, actually, I didn't really know what I wanted to do for work. Hmm. And my mom was like, hey, you should go to Saskatoon because it's a really nice city. And I thought, you know what, that sounds like a really good idea because I didn't want to go to Edmonton because I felt like it was too big for me. Hmm. Um, So I'm in the hotel room the night before my classes start and I'm perusing the U of S website. And I see on there that there's a nutrition program. And I thought, hey, that sounds kind of interesting. (laughs) So I just switched some prereqs and I started the nutrition program. And now I'm 14 years later being, I've been a dietitian for 14 years now and have just really, yeah, really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, when did you become a Christian and how did that happen? Um, so I became a Christian, I would say, uh, I remember my first time going to Bible camp. I was seven Mm -hmm. and, um, asking the Lord into my heart then and just, yeah, kind of from there really, it kind of became more real when I was a teenager and just started going to youth group and, um, yeah, making some good, solid friends and, um, yeah. Just growing in faith, learning what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, and then just, like, wanting to do some, like, short-term missions and, like, going to a few different places and just kind of growing my faith more that way. Mm, That's awesome. So, you said that you're a dietitian. Have you specialized in anything with your your Um, job, with your studies? So, I have now. When I first started out... Um, I worked in public health. I saw a whole bunch of different chronic disease, uh, pediatrics, like all kinds of different things. And then about 
Well, after having my fourth child, I decided I wanted to have a little bit more uh, control over my schedule. So I um, started working privately. And just from my exposure in the outpatient department, I knew I really liked working with eating disorders and disordered eating. So that's what I started specializing in. So for the past three years, I've done um, kind of my own thing and took some extra training. And now that's the population that I work with. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's fascinating. Um, I said, what are you passionate about as a dietitian? You just answered that. What drew you to those, that, that air, I would call it arena yeah. or a type of struggle? Yeah. Um, I think the thing that drew me to it is that I really like, like it, it's challenging. Um, for people that know me, they know that I like to do hard things. Mm. Um, and I really like that the relationships are long-term. So with other things that I've worked with in the past, it's might come in and see see a client a couple of times and then they kind of go along their way and that's that's it and um, they're likely doing fine without you. I really like that with disordered eating and eating disorders, there's a lot to unpack mm. and it often takes a long time. Mm. And so you just get to know these clients very well and it's an honor to be able to be a safe person for them to talk to and um, for them to just know that they can come in and share what they're dealing with and that they're not going to be judged and that there's somebody that, I mean, I don't have lived experience with an eating disorder, but I do have lots of work experience with them. So there's an, I have an understanding of how, how the eating disorder works and what the person might be dealing with. And so that they can come and share and actually feel like they're understood with it mm. so yeah I guess that's the it's the relationships mm. that's yeah so meaningful and purposeful yeah. mm -hmm. um, so what are some common errors that you hear or see when it comes to how people think about food and diets and that kind of stuff um, I would say like the most common thing that I see is people like there's just so much influence by especially now social media and what is called diet culture so just like the way that the world portrays what healthy living should look like or a healthy body should look like and because of the internet and social media it's just rampant and the information is constantly available and so if you have a question you can you can search out any answer that you're looking for and there will be 10 answers to the same question. Um, yeah, so I find that that really affects people's thinking about their bodies and about food. And it's, it's really common to um, have food rules, I guess, where, I mean, everybody has them. If you are in diet culture, which everybody is, but then also your family of origin, like if you think about your own family, what were some of the rules that you had growing up? Some really common ones would be like, you need to finish 
finish your plate because there's starving kids in whatever country, right? And so that's a really common rule. You have to clean your plate. Um, but then where I see the error of a rule like that would be that then I end up with somebody in their 20s or 30s or 40s or older that then believes that they always have to clean their plate. So then that actually creates like this overeating that like didn't, they never really even realized was there um, and then can end up causing other problems for them with their thinking and everything later on. So mm. um, that's just one food rule, but like... You even got me thinking. I'm like, man, do I even like stop to listen to my body? Or it's like, oh, I divvied myself this amount. I'm supposed to eat it then. Yeah. Right? It's something, yeah, you're making me stop and think. Yeah, or like even for myself, like I have four kids. So it's like I often dish my plate up and then I often eat theirs if they leave food, right? (laughs) So I try to under dish my plate so I'm not over dishing myself food. But I know that I end up overeating because I'm like, well, I don't want to throw their food away, right? So, yeah, we all Mm -hmm. have our things, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting how, like, culturally it's affected. It's not just, like, Mm -hmm. a scientific kind of thing Mm -hmm. in terms of coming, you know, from the nutrition or health world, but more just, like, those, yeah, those things that your mom would say, like, you can't have this before breakfast or whatever. Like, that's something I say to my kids. Like, no, you can't have candy or pop. Like, I'm like, those are probably good things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I'm, yeah, anyway. Yeah, including them in or like you can't have dessert before you finish your supper or you don't eat after 8 p.m. or whatever the rule is right right there are lots of them that's so true Hmm. Uh, I was going to ask do you think women and men struggle differently in kind of like how they relate to food or think about food I would say yes and no (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna be really wishy-washy um so Yes, in the sense that our our culture, again, is so sexualized that, like, women struggle with beauty constantly. And what the, I have, doing air quotes, ideal woman should look like. Right. And so there's a lot of pressure to look like supermodel or super fit or whatever. Right when we just don't all have that body type. Right. Um, and it, and that there's more than one body shape that's beautiful. <laughs> so I would say that, like, there's a lot of pressure on women um, because there's the belief that they need to look beautiful all the time. And if the world's idea of beautiful is you have to be really fit or thin, then... Who doesn't want to feel beautiful, right? right? Like yeah. so, then there's this striving to to be beautiful, mm-hmm. um, even though you already are. <laughs> right. Um, with men, I would say this. Is why I said yes and no. <laughs> with men, it's a little bit different, but like similar in the same way that it's like there's this masculinity, right? And they're told like you're only a man if you have big muscles and you do quote-unquote manly things like, I don't know, chop wood and, like, build things and, right? Like, yeah, you can fix a car, right? All these stereotypical manly things. Um, and so there's also pressure on men to, like, look, look the part and be muscular and look like they're the hero all the time. Mm. And, and, like, really, again, it's, like, not every man is 
is like that. And just because you don't do those things doesn't make you less manly. Right. Right. So there's a lot of pressure that way too. So I just see it kind of like in both ways where, um, I guess, worldly um, opinions instead of like, what does God say about us and who we are and that he created us individually with a purpose and Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I was reading, I know you, I don't know if you've read the mama bear apologies. Yeah. Yeah. I think when they're talking in the, the guide to sexuality one, they said like David cried and he played an instrument and like they were listing all these different types of men. He also like was really good with a slingshot or whatever. Right. But again, being just like, I don't like God doesn't hold up, you know, all to one standard in terms of like, this is the most manliest of men. Yeah. It's just so sweet when there's like, I would say badass women in the Bible, but then there's also like gentle, extremely loving women. Yeah. I think of Ruth, right? Yeah. And then there's other women. You're like Deborah judging, leading. You're just like, okay, like. Strong and very like not afraid to go into battle. And yeah, like there's different, different kinds. And like, even like you said about David, like he was, he was the one that's continually referred to as the man after God's heart. Right. Mm -hmm. But he like, yeah, he cried. He played the harp, like you said, but he was a fierce warrior, mm-hmm. right? Like he was both things. And it doesn't mean we have to be one thing or the other, mm-hmm. right? Like we can be a mix or we could be one or the other, but like they're just, there's different pieces, I guess. Yeah. 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 So it's sex when culture just shows us that one kind of image. Yeah. And then, yeah, we're like, oh, I don't fit that mold. What can I do to try to change how I perceive myself so I feel better about myself? Yeah, because we all want to feel valued and loved, right? Like, cause, like at the root of, like, food stuff that I see is that it comes from a place of wanting to feel valuable. And if we don't feel valuable, like, there's this belief that, like, say, for example, in e- an eating disorder, somebody that has an eating disorder, say it's anorexia, it's if I gain even a small amount of weight, like ounces of weight, nobody will ever love me mm-hmm. right like it comes back to that like completely back to our worth mm-hmm. right so if nobody's ever going to love me then where's my value mm-hmm. right so it's there's it's just it's so tied up in that right and then like even like for a presentation I was doing a little while ago I had like searched out um what is a, a fit or a healthy oh sorry what was the Oh, an athletic body. That's what I was doing research for. So I typed in athletic body. And like, I'm sure you can imagine what the images that came up were. They were like, just totally that stereotype. Like every person that came up was insanely muscular and like not an ounce of fat on their body. Right. And it's like, but is that the only athlete? And like, that was the point of the presentation was to show that no, there's athletes of all different shapes and sizes, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, somebody that's shaped like that likely wouldn't be very good at, like, endurance running or something like that, Mm -hmm. right? They have these big bulky muscles, right? Like, we have different shapes for a reason, Mm -hmm. even in the athletic world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's true. I always think of people, like, what's that one where you, like, have the ball and you, like, spin and throw, like... Like, hammer throw? Or something like that. Like, there's a few different sports where you're, like get the runner to try to do that. It's not going to have the same result. It's not going to have the same result, no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, What advice 
Oh, sorry, I think I skipped one. I said, has God used your passion for nutrition as a ministry opportunity? Like, how do you feel you honor God with your work? Um, I I think so. Like, I, I mean, I don't overtly tell my clients that I am a Christian woman. Mm. Um, but I do pray over all of my clients. Mm. Well, they're, now, if they're listening to this, they'll know that. <laughs> um, but I do. I pray before every every client that I have because I just, like... I want God to just direct our session and like the conversation and then it'd be a safe space for, for the person to share and, and to just know that like, there's no judgment here and you can say whatever you want to say mm-hmm. and, and you're going to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it is very much a ministry for me. Like it, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just love it. Like it's, like I said, it's the relational piece for mm-hmm. me that is that is the most important part. You get to, like, love on someone yeah. that maybe they don't experience that anywhere else well, in that way. Yeah, because, like, especially because eating disorders are very misunderstood. And somebody would just, like, for example, just say, well, why don't you just eat? Right. Right? And it's like, well, it's just not that easy. Yeah. Right? So to be able to come and just be like, you can just say all of those things to me and all those hurts that that somebody else has said to you that have just like kind of like jammed the dagger in more mm-hmm. and know that like I'm I'm just going to say I'm sorry that that was said to you and I imagine that that really caused a lot of hurt and can we talk more about that? Will mm-hmm. you tell me how you're feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Counselor slash dietitian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so my next question is, what advice would you give to someone struggling with healthy eating? Yeah. Um, so we were kind of talking before. And so I guess like healthy eating is is so subjective. It's your idea of what healthy is might be different than my idea of healthy. When I think of the word healthy, I try to think of like in the scope of all the parts of us so like if I'm thinking of my mind my body and my spirit like how am I healthy what does healthy eating look like to all of those things and honoring all of those different parts of me so I would say like healthy eating is eating in a way that you are honoring all those different parts so what that might look like is um say for example you have, you're, you're not just focusing on the nutrition piece of it. Like maybe you're trying to eat a balanced meal or whatever, but another part of it is socializing. And so with socializing, there's often food, right? Mm -hmm. And, and being able to go and be with your friends at a restaurant and order something that whatever you want on the menu versus like oh, I'm going to get this thing because it's lower in calories or instead of having that make your decision up, you're just able to go and just be free to enjoy the experience of being in that environment with your friends. Like that is also part of healthy eating. Hmm. And then the thinking around food, right? So like I said about not making the food decision based on the caloric content of the food, but like what you actually want to eat because it sounds good and you think it would taste good. And like, um, what, what's going to nourish 
that part of your soul, I guess, like, um, that's also a piece of it, right? So it's, that is healthy eating. It's those three kind of parts combined. Right. Yeah. Cause you might be at the party, you might be kind of partaking, but it might be like, I'm choosing things out of shame. So I'm actually feeling shameful at the party yeah. or whatever, like, and no one would maybe even be able to tell, totally. but it's like this weight that you carry compared yeah. to being like, I'm having one slice of cake, not eight. Yeah. I would love to have eight or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I love about when we've talked before about how you have said, shared that like, sometimes people really categorize things like good mm-hmm. food, bad food. Yeah. And yeah. what I've learned from being your friend mm-hmm. is that like, it's all about, what is the word? Moderation, right? Yeah. And I don't know why that's so hard to get across, but I think sometimes we think it's just so much easier if it's black and white. Like yeah. that's always bad. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, oh, well, with the bad comes that feeling of like shame or like putting ourselves down for even liking it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's where our thinking around food is just so important, right? Because it's, if we think like the food is bad, then we're going to feel bad about eating or, or feel like we are bad for eating it, right? So if you're at like that same party and there's food there and you are partaking, like you said, and you're like, oh, like I can still be here, but I'm not really eating the foods that I even want. Right. Right? Like there's there's a piece there that that's missing for you then, right? Like if it's like, I really want to have, say for example, like at parties, there's often like good dips, right? Yeah. <laughs> A good party has good dip. A good party has good dip, right? So it's like, but if you're like, oh, I'm trying to lose five or 10 pounds or I, I know dips are high in calories and I can't have that automatically when we go there in our mind, I can't have that. Then it just, it, it takes away from that experience there too, right? What about just like, you can have that. You're not filling your plate with it right? Like that's not the only thing you're having, but you're, you're starting to work through and challenge these, these rules, Mm. right? So that you can go and just like have what you want. Like you said, that kind of more moderate approach where you you can have what you want at the party, but you don't leave there feeling ashamed or guilty that you either had too much or, or I shouldn't have that. And I had it anyway, but you just leave there feeling like, yeah, you know what? I had what I wanted mm. and I enjoyed myself. Right. Right? Mm. That's so good. Um, I'm really excited about this next part because it really relates to my life. Um, what would you say to parents about getting their kids to eat? Like what are the do's and don'ts that either you've learned the hard way or you've seen parents do over and over that you're like, stop mm-hmm. doing that. <laughs> this is like one of those things that I was so happy when I had kids. That I was a dietitian that worked in outpatients with peds mm-hmm. because like I had already before coming into that part of my life, I'd already been working as a dietitian for eight years and no, that's not quite right. Six years, sorry. And um, so I'd already been doing lots of reading on feeding relationship with children. And so there's this lady that I love her stuff. Her name's Ellen Satter. And she is a registered social worker and she does lots of research on food relationship. And she wrote, has written many amazing books. I've read a couple of them and they're both really great. And she just has so much good information. So she wrote this book Um, or she has this concept called the division of responsibility in feeding. And so with with that, it outlines what our parents' feeding jobs and what our 
the kids' feeding job. And so as parents, our feeding jobs are to decide what, when, and where. So what are we providing for the meal? When are we having the meal? Where are we having the meal? Hmm. So if I want to say, like, we're having hamburgers at 5.30 in the park, Hmm. right? Like, I get to decide that because those are my feeding jobs as the caregiver. And then our children's feeding jobs are to decide if they're going to eat and how much or how little. Okay. And so that can really stress parents out because they're like, how little? Like, what does that even mean, right? Like, what if my kid doesn't want any of it? Mm -hmm. And I just say to you, you know, part of our feeding job as parents is we get to decide when. So we get to decide when the next snack is too. So if you're a kid, you serve something and your kid is like, "Mm -mm, not taking a bite, don't want any of it. Right. You can reassure yourself really (laughs) that like the next snack is going to be in an hour and a half or two hours right right so if if historically if this is like something new that you're starting right for yourself that then it's like okay I know that my my kid will yes likely be hungry and probably quite whiny Mm -hmm. for the next two hours Mm -hmm. but I know for myself they're not going to starve right and that I'm going to give them a snack at that time And then I'm going to just be intentional that that snack has a few different components in it. And I'm going to just make sure that there's for sure one thing that they like. Right. So that I, I'm kind of throwing them a bone so that they know that like I have, um, I have something I can eat because like, so in my eating disorder world that I work in now, like there are legitimate reasons why kids don't eat foods too, right? Like, um, so there's, um, I mean, it can be labeled as extreme picky eating, but like really the difference between a picky eater or a selective eater, I would call them mm-hmm. and somebody with avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, which is a, a form of an eating disorder is that they both come off very similarly as selective eating. But then with the second one with ARFID, it's called then um, it's basically like there's that selectiveness in the in the eating, but then there's also a failure to grow. Mm. And so that's where it kind of comes more into the realm of ARFID mm. versus selective or picky eating. So you're meaning like the kid actually physically is actually stunting their growth because yeah. they're not eating properly. Yeah. Okay. And so, so like sometimes kids just like legitimately already, or it could be that they're on um, the spectrum and they've never been diagnosed. And so like there's some neurodiversity there. And so then with, with neurodiversity, there can often be like uh, sensory aspects with food that they are just like the smell or the color or the texture or whatever, right? So it's like, there can often be these, these things that we don't even know about as parents. And if we are trying to be like, no, you have to eat this, we can be causing harm when we're like trying to be helpful, right? right. So that's where also this feeding, um, the division of responsibility and feeding can be really helpful mm-hmm. because then we're not pushing our stuff on them. Because And like I've told parents before, and like I believe this for myself too, that like I don't know how full my kid's tummy is. Yeah. Right? Like so if they say, mom, I don't want any more, I'm done. Okay, okay, you're done. Even if they had two bites. Right. 
right? Mm -hmm. Instead of me being like, what, are you sure you're not hungry? You barely ate anything, right? Because, like, that's well-intentioned for sure. And, like, we care about our kids and, like, we want them to grow and thrive and do amazing. But, like, that's their feeding job is to decide how much or how little. Mm -hmm. And, like, as parents, I know for myself, like, I just, like, I come into this role of mom and I just think, like, I can tend to think I know better, Mm -hmm. but I don't, right? Like, especially, like, it's their body. Right. They know it, right? So, like, and I've told them before, like, I mean, like I said, with food stuff, this isn't really, this is just, like, the way that I've always done it with them because I was blessed to have this knowledge before having kids. Um, But I, yeah, so, like, they'll, they'll tell me, like, my kids will just say, you know, like, I'm full. Okay, sounds good. And they they know. And I'll just say, like, you know your body better than I do. Mm -hmm. And that's a common thing that I say to them because they do. Mm -hmm. I don't know their body. I think we all, I don't know if everyone, but I'm thinking most of us have, like, one memory of those, like, traumatizing situations where it was, like, you're not leaving the table until you eat this. And then you realize how strong-willed your child is that... Yeah. For me, I think it was a borscht soup. Yeah. I just remember being like, I hate giant chunks of tomatoes still to this day. Yes. And just sitting there and being like, I will sit at my auntie's table all night because I am not eating that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I don't know why we do that to our kids. No. It, it's such a power struggle, right? Like it's, and like I see that, like I've had many clients that have come in with stories like that, that have really caused a lot of harm for them. Mm. And so, like, if you're a parent that's done that to your kids, like, this is not to make you feel, like, ashamed that you've done that. Like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right? Right. So it's, like, that's, I would just say, like, if that's been your pattern, to use food as a punishment, then there there are other ways to do that. But, like, food we should try to keep mealtimes pleasant because really like the world is so busy and like to be able to sit down, especially, I mean, my kids are not teenagers yet, but I have friends with teenage kids and they just talk about how crazy busy their lives are. And that's often the only time that they're seeing their kids mm-hmm. is that supper time mm-hmm. or maybe it's not even supper because they got sports and all that kind of stuff. But like, to, to be able to sit down for a meal and let it be a pleasant time where the family can connect mm. is just so crucial. So like to just take all of this other stuff aside and mm-hmm. not have it as part of the meal, right? And just let them eat what they want to eat and do their feeding job and you do yours. Yeah. Hmm. I was just reading, it's like an older book by Dr. James Dobson about like raising boys. Yeah. I think he wrote two, one for girls, one for boys. And he was saying like statistically wise, like families that sat down for a meal, it had like this resiliency element to it in terms of like your kid feeling a part of the family, Mm -hmm. a place in the family, connected to the family, all these things that like I think sometimes we just, we don't see almost like the spiritual loveliness of it. So I really like that. I feel like you're encouraging me to, yeah, like, let's try to keep this as tension-free as possible. Because yeah. sometimes right away my kids see the food and right away they're like, yuck! They haven't <laughs> tried it, but that is, yeah. they say it. I'm like, okay, well, please try it first or whatever. Yeah. But it's just so funny that, yeah, like, am I going to engage in that? Am yeah. I going to, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you who's boss compared right. to being like, okay, 
I'm going to sit down and eat because I'm hungry, says mom. Yeah, and it can be hard, right? Because, like, like we are people and that hurts our feelings. Yeah. Right? Like, I just spent, like, the last 45 minutes making this meal and I serve it to you and you take a bite and you turn your nose up at it or you don't even take a bite at all or, like, right? And I just think, like, why did I even put all that effort in? <laughs> Right? Like, it can be so discouraging. Mm -hmm. Right? So, I think there's still, like, in a kind way to say, like, and I've said this to my kids before, you know what? It's okay that you don't like it, but you can you can say no thank you in a kind way yeah. to me, too, because when you say that, it hurts my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, my oldest are eight, and, like, and my youngest is four. And so, it's, like, they get it, and they'll be, like, sorry, mom. Yeah, it's just like it's it's teaching them respect too, right? Like I I respect you by not trying to force you to mm. eat this food that you're not into, but you can respect me that I just put a bunch of effort into taking care of you. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like that back and forth. Mm. But I I just wanted I because I was thinking about this with the Ellen Satter information. Like the one thing that she says is like. Um, to not make food a punishment or a reward. Okay. So like that we kind of covered the punishment side of it, but the reward side is also important to talk about, I think, because it's like, it's it's really common too to celebrate with food. I mean, like you have like a birthday party and there's cake and whatever, right? But like what I mean by by using it as a reward would be like you have, say... Um, you ask your kid to do a chore. You're like, and if you do a really good job, I'll take you for ice cream. Right. Right. So that would be like a reward. So we're teaching them that food, um, it kind of puts it on a pedestal almost if you think about it like that. So then it's like, if I'm really good, I get ice cream or I get whatever the food is that you're saying. I mean, it's usually in that case, some sort of like treat treat type food, right? Yeah. So it's like the kid starts thinking, if I am really good, I get that. So where I see that then fast forward to clients that, that I work with that are adults now, they still have that thinking. If I do something really good, I'm going to reward myself. Hmm. Right. So then there can end up being this uh, disordered eating around food in that way. Hmm. Like, oh, for example, like I. I did like like say they took their dog for a walk, but they don't usually take the dog for a walk. I did a really good thing. I'm going to I'm going to treat myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like it's not a bad thing to have ice cream or whatever you consider as a treat for yourself. But it's where the thinking then becomes like, I did something good, so I deserve something good, mm. right? And when that's attached to food, it can cause all kinds of like interesting, um, yeah, thoughts, I guess. Yeah, and like dysfunction, hey, like how they re relate to it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's getting me thinking. Um, so as a Christian, how do we lovingly journey alongside someone who has a dysfunctional relationship with food mm. like if we if we notice something that we think is actually concerning what would your advice be in terms of like how do we talk to someone yeah. in a way that hopefully doesn't damage the relationship yeah um 
I guess just you might not even need to point it out and I'd say actually don't point it out but like if you observe these things and you notice like these kind of like possible red flags that you see like educate yourself so um, there's tons of resources out there for loved ones on how to support somebody with an eating disorder or like how to identify red flags of an eating disorder so educate yourself but like if if you are the one that they choose to disclose to just be really compassionate and like don't pretend that you know why they're even doing it because like disordered eating I I guess eating disorders are just very um, misunderstood Hmm. and I guess the main thing I would say about them is that they're not a choice Hmm. somebody with an eating disorder doesn't choose to have an eating disorder and so um, don't ever make the assumption that that they're they're choosing to not come out um, say to the restaurant and have um socialize with us or they're choosing not to eat that food like somebody with an eating disorder hates their eating disorder Mm. they don't want to live in it like I it is an extreme form of bondage and like I see these clients like they would love nothing more than to be able to go out and um, sit at Earl's with their girlfriends and have a drink and order some appies and just like not have their brain in overdrive or have to always make an excuse as to why they can't go because that would be the more common one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got this happening tonight. Oh, I've got this going on, right? And like, just like always, they're always unavailable, mm. right? So just be compassionate with them. Like, try not to get your feelings hurt, mm. I would say, because there will be times where you might feel like you're kind of, you, you might see it as like they're just, not wanting to spend time with you, but it's not likely that. Mm. Um, yeah, so educate yourself. Um, I have a list of resources for um, support people on my website. So just like links of like where you can get more information basically of um, if, if you're looking for more information. And then like the other thing I wanted to say is that like the eating disorder is a coping mechanism, right? So it is a way for that person to deal with hard things, right? So some people clean their house, right? When they're dealing with, with challenging things, um, some people use food. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah just looking at it like that but lots of compassion and a listening ear for Mm -hmm. sure and to realize that maybe we don't understand it so to like you're saying that that unhelpfulness of like well why don't you just yeah right yeah and those comments are just like so well-intentioned they're just not helpful at all they cause a lot of harm Mm -hmm. like they like for a a client to come in and just say you know like my loved one just said well like why don't you just eat this and it's like it just it just shows them that their loved one really doesn't get it. Right. Right. And they wish that they could eat it and that there'd be no no problem. Right. This would make you feel so misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, this actually segues perfectly to what you were just saying about your website. How can people connect with you if they either want your help and advice directly or 
maybe like you were saying, they want to maybe share the information or just find what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, so I have a website. It's directnutritiongp.com. So um, yeah, my, my business name is Direct Nutrition Consulting. So um, directnutritiongp.com. Okay. And yeah, if you have any more questions, you can reach out to me through that or my phone number's on there too and send me an email, whatever. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes for anyone who wants to see that. Yeah, thanks so much for coming in, Stacy. It's such an interesting topic. I think a lot of us, like it's funny how we all have obviously relationships and rules, like you were saying, but we don't necessarily think of it in the way that you do. Yeah. So hearing you say that, it's just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm literally going to think differently about mealtime because yeah, we have little rules in our house, but I don't know why. I think we're just like, oh, that's what other people have done. Yeah. So I'm doing that. Yeah. So it's so nice to talk to someone who knows the ins and outs a bit better than the social media trend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, no, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We pray that this podcast has blessed you and we look forward to connecting with you again. God bless. That is our episode for today. We want to thank you for listening. If you have any topic ideas you'd like us to cover, please send us an email to office at gpalliance.ca with the subject title of women's podcast in the title there. That way it gets to me. That would be great. We would love to hear any of your ideas. Lastly, we're trying to reach as many listeners as we can in hopes of growing the kingdom of God. Whether you tell someone in person about the podcast or leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, we would so appreciate it. Those things really help people find us. May the Lord bless you and keep you, dear friends. And until next time, God bless.